Hello and welcome back to episode 17 of UFO Encounters Worldwide with your host Jesse Peak, MUFON field investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. Today we have a great episode for you. Um, once a month from now on, we're going to be getting into MUFON's top cases of each month. So one of the episodes from every month will have all of our top cases that have gone through and have been reported to MUFON for that month. Um, so today's episode is going to be all the top cases from August, plus we're also going to learn about MUFON's ERT, which is their experience resource team. So there's a lot of information packed in here, so strap on them seatbelts, we're going for a ride. Alright, and welcome to the show. This is your host, Jesse Peak. So yeah, I thought it'd be pretty cool to once a month bring up all the top cases that have been reported to move on for that month. Now these are the top and the best cases. So they're not just a normal, just a sighting that you know, and then seen it for two seconds and went out. These are swarms that have been seen. These are bright lights uh, making erratic motions, um, sometimes with sound, with chemtrails, all that kind of good stuff. Um, so that'll be discussed in today's episode. And then the second half of the show will be about the ERT, which is the Experiencers Resource Team that MUFON has. Um, they deal with everybody that have had uh, abductions, um, if they've had some kind of implants during an abduction, um, if they're dealing with the, any kind of high strangeness, you can report it to MUFON in through the ERT, and you'll have uh, medical doctors, physicians, psychiatrists, and all the top senior field investigators to help you with that and get you some answers and maybe talk you through it. Um, they kind of work as a therapist in a way, but they're there for your help. Um, so we'll get into that for the second half. Um, as always, episode 17, welcome. Um, we have your fun facts for today, all about planet Earth. So, starting with this. The Earth's rotation is gradually slowing. I don't know if anybody knows that. We are slowing down at a very slow rate. The de this deceleration is happening almost imperceivably at approximately 17 milliseconds per 100 years. Although the rate at which it occurs is not perfectly uniform, this has affected um, the lengthening of our days, but it happened so slowly that it could be as much as 140 million years before the length of a day will increase to 25 hours. So in your future sometime, it's no longer going to be 24 hours a day. It's actually going to jump to that 25. Um, Earth, the second part of our fun fact for today, Earth doesn't take 24 hours to rotate on its axis. Axis. Um, it actually takes 23 hours, 56 minutes, and 4 seconds. This is the amount of time it takes for Earth to completely rotate around its axis. Astronomers call this a, uh, a, side, a side real day. Now, wait a second. That means a day is 4 minutes shorter than we think it is. You think that time would add up day by day, and within a few months, day would be night, and night would be day. But, hey, this is what they say. <laughs> um, and to continue with our third fact of the day, a year on Earth isn't 365 days. It's actually 365.2564 days. So it's actually a little bit longer. 
it's an extra 0.2564 days that creates the need for leap years. That's why we track on an extra day in February every year, divisible by four. 2004, 2008, etc. Unless it's unless it's divisible by 100, 1900, 2100, etc. Unless it's divisible by 400, 1600, 2000, etc. You kind of get the gist of it all. So Earth is definitely slowing down. It's definitely going to increase by an hour, but that's not going to happen for a very long time yet. But it is slowing down. Um, and it doesn't take a full 24 hours to rotate on its axis. So all this information is kind of crazy to think about. You know what I mean? We really don't think about how long our day is and, and how Earth's slowing down at the rate that it is. Um, and to find out that a year is actually a little over 365 days, yet it's slowing down, which is going to cause an extra hour eventually. And it doesn't take a full 24 hours to uh, rotate on its axis. It's pretty cool stuff. I, I love the science fact of, of uh, space um, and looking into it. That's why I do these fun facts. So you guys will definitely learn something every day on an episode of UFO Encounters Worldwide. Um, so some announcements we have. So here at UFO Encounters Worldwide, we have some really cool guests coming up starting next week with Andrew Owen and his wife, Julia Owen, who are authors of the book, Alley and Park Dunes, which talks about a part of the United States that is outlined like a triangle, like the Bermuda Triangle, but this is in the center of the United States that is a hotspot for UFOs. And the details that involve in his book and how he talks about this, I mean, it blew my mind. He actually has a YouTube uh, page with just two videos on there, but it explains exactly what he's looking into. And he sent them to me just to check out. And once I once I uh, watched these videos, I was absolutely hooked and I had to have him come on the show. So that's why he's coming on. Um, and you'll definitely get to learn all about it. Um, so the week after um, that, we're going to have Philip Mantle on, who is a pioneer in the UFO field. Um, Philip has authored many books, which I'm a huge fan of, and he actually owns Flying Disc, Disc Press. Um, he is a publisher, um, which has some amazing authors published like Don Schmidt and Tom Carey, just to state a few. Um, so he's definitely um, someone who has been in the field for a long time. He's definitely one of the leading UFOlogists over in, in the UK. Um, and he's just a brilliant man. Um, he the, the things that he has done, his files, um, he, he, he has his own full, I would say, own library of evidence and uh, documents and just his research. It's insane. Um, so that'll be cool to have him on. Um, also, I want to let everyone know um, about a new project that um, we're doing here at UFO Encounters Worldwide. You could definitely check it out on the website. But I'm going to announce the project is called Project Bat Tech 404, where we're going to be studying electronic malfunctions before, during, and after UFO sightings. Um, if you want to get the full gist of it, you can go over to uh, ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com, which is our official website. You can read the details. Um, it's just a quick little thing to run through to get you to understand exactly what we're going to be doing. Um, and... Um, I have called to see if any other researchers want to be involved with the project, um, and I've had some uh, inquire about that. So we are building a team so we could do this research project 
uh, professionally and get the right team together so we can have the proper research done with the proper facts. Um, I believe in any type of research that's going to be done, it should be done uh, to the best of its ability and it should definitely be fact-based, which is what I'm about. Um, so, uh, like I said, if you are a researcher and you do want to get interested and you are interested in this, um, definitely email me at ufoencountersworldwide at gmail.com. Um, if you have a background in this field, that would be preferred. But if not, that's fine, too. Um, so I'm willing to give anybody the chance that that is excited to do research in this field um, and is passionate about it just like I am. Um, so email me ASAP if you'd like to join the team. Um, also, I want to give a good shout out to one of my good friends, Johnny Summers, over at the Invited Extra Show on YouTube. He is a supporter of the UFO Encounters Worldwide and will be sponsoring our podcast. Um, I will also be coming on his show as a guest um, in, in a couple days. So definitely check out and subscribe to his YouTube channel. It's called The Invited Extra Show. Um, he also does another show during the week with a couple other things. Um, but uh, what a brilliant man who has brought people together in the field and is having the, the top researchers and authors on, on his show. Absolutely great. We're going to be sponsoring each other and definitely working together um, in the future. So this relationship um, we'll be part of an ongoing friendship and we'll be doing a lot of work together. So uh, stay tuned for that. Very interesting stuff. So now for today's episode. So everybody knows that I am a MUFON certified field investigator for the state of Pennsylvania. Um, I am very passionate about what I do and how I do it. Um, I, I research cases daily. Um, I get sent to the, I get, I get them sent from my state section director um, and I fully investigate every case to my to the fullest. And since I'm a part of MUFON, um, MUFON does send out its top cases every month. And I figured I'd like to share them with you because these cases are the best of the best. Um, they're very interesting, very intriguing. And I know people enjoy hearing about new cases that are happening around the world, um, especially in the United States. Um, it might even be your city or your state that we're talking about. And uh, the sighting could be near you. You never know. Um, so I want to start off by going over the cases today. And in the second half of the show, we'll go on and move on to what the ERT is about, the Experiencer Resource Team. So let's look at the case that we have. This is case 114792. And this is Idaho Witness sees Silver Object in Flight. So... A witness in Hagerman, Idaho, reports seeing a silver object in the sky, according to testimony in case 114792. The object was videoed. And just so you guys know, you can go over to MUFON and search the case number just so you can see what the case is about um, and get the whole background on it. So you can take the numbers that I'm giving you, the case number, go over to MUFON, type it in, and you can check out the case yourself. But today I'm going to go ahead and read over them. This way you guys um, can get the information firsthand. So. The witness was outdoors near a windmill farm at 10 a.m. on April 17, 2021. Um, the witness uh, witness's written statement in this in the case management system says, "Quote: I was just off a of Bell Rapids Road by the windmill farm, and I saw a silver object's flight from right to left. It seemed to have some sort of aura that bent light around it. It pulled out 
I pulled out my phone to get a, to get the best video I could. Quote, in tw an 82 seconds video accompanied in the case management system filing, a still image from which appears above a blade and a tower of a wind turbine are prominent therein. Idaho MUFON State Director Jim Miller closed this case as an unknown aerial phenomenon. Hagerman is a city in Gooding County, Idaho, United States. The population was 872 at the 2010 census, up from 656 in 2000. So this object has a great video. If you go on, like I said, take that case number, and you can actually see the real video of this object as it's flying in the, in the area that he was. So he was obviously driving down a road when he's seen this. Um, and if you get any type of video or photos of anything, that's some of the best stuff that we can get as evidence and better research when we do stuff. So if you ever report to MUFON, if you have a, a photo or a video, um, that, that definitely helps a lot with the investigation. And I promise you that MUFON, the people that are dedicated in this field that work for MUFON, will investigate your uh, sighting to the fullest. Um, I always try to give the best answer I can, and I help every individually personally as if you were family. That's how I look at this. Um, so moving on to the next case. Okay, this is case number 115280. Utah witness sees multiple dancing lights in the sky. A Utah witness in Salt Lake City reported seeing many lights in the sky that disappeared, reappeared, danced, and formed various shapes according to testimony in case 115280. The witness was driving on Utah's Bangerter Highway at 12.51 p.m. on May 6, 2021. The witness wrote, quote, I was driving back to work from my lunch break when I saw what looked to be a shiny balloon in the sky. But then they were behaving a little odd for balloons. When I looked harder, I thought maybe it could be birds. But then they were disappearing and reappearing and even dancing and making different shapes. They seem like orbs, not birds. There were about 10 of them moving oddly in the sky, so I pulled over and took a video. Um, the duration of the video that she took is actually five minutes long. Um, I'm sorry, the sighting lasted five minutes long, and the length of the video is two minutes. So um, the, it was closed, the case was closed as an unknown other, which usually means you probably saw the real thing. Um, and in his in the the directors in the field investigator uh, the state director's report, he put stated quote prior to my contact with the witness, I enlarged a still copy of the video that was witness submitted. The objects are definitely circular in shape, like an orb or weather balloon might be, but I was unable to tell if any of them were tethered to each other. They act like they are caught up in some kind of undraft of air as wind conditions that they were variable in nature. I did note that the objects appear to separate from each other, which leads me to believe they are not tethered together. So I'm not certain exactly what they are, end quote. Um, Salt Lake City is the capital of Utah, as well as the seat of Salt Lake County and uh, most populous county in Utah, with an estimated population of 200,567 in 2019. So this case um, is definitely one of the good ones, and especially when you catch video with this kind of stuff, seeing multiple objects in the sky. Um, usually most people just see, um, maybe sometimes, like I'm working on a case now where you can see these many objects and they're all moving in one direction. Um, 
And then when they start moving erratically as they're all moving in one direction and making different shapes, that is very good evidence to have when you take a video. Um, that just right there tells you it's absolutely something that is not very, uh, I, I can't see a drone making different shapes and doing that stuff. But then again, we could have that technology and just not know about it. So that was case 115280 in Utah. Okay, so moving on to the next case, case 115104. Fireball appears over lake, transforms into craft, then back into fireball and vanishes. <laughs> so this definitely sounds like a good one here. Okay, all right. A female witness living on an island in Lake George, Florida, on the edge of Ocala National Forest, reported a complicated series of events involving a fireball appearing to take on the uh, resemblance of a large structure of some kind before changing back into a fireball and flying out of sight. Um, a significant other was also witnessed at one point in the proceedings. The complete details of the case and its follow-up investigation are set forth in the CMS um, of case 115104. Um, the reporting witness detailed statement in the case management system and the MUFON investigators report of the incident are briefly summarized as follows. The primary witness was outdoor on her patio at 3.03 a.m. on May 1st, 2021, pursuant of her job of running a cat rescue. When she observed the fire, a fireball approximately 150 to 200 feet in length, and at least 60 feet tall. So we're, we're talking about a pretty big object here, guys. Um, so crossed the lake and it came to a stop. It either landed on or hovered a few feet above the water. Then, then a white light appeared after obtaining binoculars. The witness noted that the fireball had changed into an object over 100 feet tall. Um, with spires of various heights rising above the main structure. It looked transparent. The white light remained at some distance from, from the spired object for 10 to 15 minutes before moving back to it, after which point it was exhausted, extinguished, I'm sorry. After several more minutes, the large object purportedly resumed its initial fireball appearance maneuvering behind the tree line and it vanished so you're talking about a fireball and that's pretty pretty large and you know itself it was approximately 150 to 200 feet in length 60 feet tall and then all of a sudden out of nowhere it's transforming into a large object which is a hundred feet tall that's 40 foot increase from what the original object was so we're talking about a pretty large object here. And then it went back to the fireball shape that was 60 feet tall. So after the experience had begun, the primary witness woke her partner and confirmed to the investigator he had seen what she said, a structured object four to five stories in height with spires. However, he was not there to see the transformation of the fireball to the structure. Um, the entire episode lasted about an hour during which the witness obtained one photo, which appears in the case file. Um, Florida MUFON field investigator Sabrina Marie Robb closed the case as unknown other. Um, after a very thorough investigation, she writes, quote, that led to many possibilities in many directions. I'm not convinced this was a hoax. 
at the bottom line, the witness did experience something unusual, end quote. So um, Georgetown is the nearest city to the witness, um, is unincorporated community in Putnam County, Florida, United States, located on the shores of Lake George. Um, the community can be found south of Wallaca um, State Forest and north of Lake George Conservation Area. Um, so with all the details talking to the witness, the field investigator that uh, investigated this case did feel that um, the witness was telling the truth um, and was very sincere. Um, and seeing the photo that was taken of the object, which I'm looking at here, if you look up the case, it's 115104, you can see a very diamond-like structure that is glowing behind, uh, in front of the dark sky. Because um, do remember that this was uh, 3, 3 o'clock in the morning, I believe. Yeah, 3.03 a.m. on May 1st, 2021. Um, so it is uh, an unknown other which means that it's definitely unexplainable. So it's possibly the real deal. And the investigator definitely feels that the witnesses did see something unusual. Um, so that's definitely a pretty cool case. Um, definitely. All right, moving on. The next case is case 113932. Lighted circular object photographed in the night sky. A witness in Fulton, California, reported seeing a hovering flying craft with lights, according to testimony in case 113932. The reporting witness was in her house at night on February 19, 2021, when she went to use the bathroom. Based on the event description in the case management system, she then saw an object outside the bathroom window. It resembled a flat frying pan with a light atop it and a horizontal row of yellow gold lights on the bottom. The object hovered for over a minute and was the size of a nickel at arm's length. She left the bathroom to get her phone, returned to find the object still there. That's very rare and took a single picture. I then went to get my hubby and it went away. No explanation, no sound, end quote. California MUFON Assistant Director Dev Run, Run, Runjan closed the case as an unknown aerial vehicle. In her report, Runyon stated, Her bathroom window faces due west. This could not have been an airplane because it's, it hovered for a minute or two and it was circular like a frying pan. Also, she said her husband used flight tracker and nothing showed up. It didn't have any flashing or strobing lights like anti-collision lights that you would normally see on a drone or a plane that's regulated. Um, so when the husband did go to check the flight radar, obviously it didn't pop up. Um, anything that's on flight radar has a tracking device um, that gives its position away. Um, so this is like normal passenger planes that are flying over your city. You could track them from state to state. Um, this object did not come up on the radar. Um, Fulton, uh, the location, is a census-designated place in Sonoma County, California, United States. Fulton is just to the north of city limits of Santa Rosa and seven miles north-northeast of Sebastopol. The population in 2010 was 541 people. Um, and, and again, this is case 113932. Um, there is a picture of the object. And it's exactly what she describes. Um, you do see 
uh, about six lights on the bottom, and then that one single nickel um, size lay above that. So it kind of looks like it could possibly be a triangle craft. Um, you could see that if you go on the MUFON and type the case number in. Um, definitely, definitely pretty cool. And again, um, the investigator obviously went to the home and checked out the window and found that um, the way that it was described and in um, and from the video that she took in her photos, the photo, um, it's definitely not a plane or a drone and didn't have no flashing lights on it. All right, moving to the next case, case 115486. Mystery aircraft photographed over Indiana. A witness from Bloomington, Indiana photographed a flying object that resembled a plane, according to testimony in case 115486. The witness was fishing in Lake Monroe at 8.41 p.m. on May 1, 2021. In a detailed description in the event, the witness wrote, quote, I was fishing in Monroe Lake and took some pictures of the sunset. I took two photos within seconds of each other, but zoomed in a little on the photo with the object in it. I didn't notice the object until after I took it. Then I zoomed in on it. The first photo doesn't show it, and there were no planes over the over where the object was. Subsequent to the case management statement, the witness added she heard nothing at the time of the photos were taken, so obviously the object was not giving off any type of noise of any sort. Um, so addressing the photographs, Indiana MUFON field investigator Bron uh, Patrick O'Brien wrote in a summary that the conclusions uh, that in the first picture, I could see nothing but the last object was a dark outline of a U.S. Air Force C-130, which I'm familiar with having 14 years experience in retired U.S. Air Force. But no noise according to the witness. Conclusion, witness saw something in her photos. Case management disposition was an unknown aerial vehicle. All right. And then Bloomington um, is a city in and the county seat of Monroe in the central region of Indiana. It's the 17th largest city in Indiana, and the population is estimated 85,755 from 2019. Um, so obviously, this was definitely some kind of uh, unknown aerial phenomena uh, vehicle. Um, it was a vehicle, so that leads out planets, that leaves out um, a hoax, um, and so on. So you kind of get the idea there. And that was case 115486. So we, um, we have uh, about one more case left, but I'm going to save this for after the break. Um, those were some pretty cool cases. And I really do intrigue you if you want to see the photos to do go on MUFON.com. And you'll be able to see the, you'll be able to read what I just read off to you. And you'll be able to see the photos so you can kind of add it up together. Um, so they're definitely pretty cool. I, I encourage you to do that. Um, and so we're going to go ahead and take our break. Um, and when we come back, we'll go ahead over the last case. And then we'll also go over the um, ERT, the Experiencers Resource Team, which is definitely a pretty cool thing that MUFON provides for um, experiencers. So we'll be right back with UFO Encounters Worldwide, Episode 17. <laughs> Did you know UFO Encounters Worldwide has an official website for the podcast? That's right. 
you can go to ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com today and check out all of the cool content we have on the UFO phenomenon. You can get all of the content and information for each episode on the website. Plus, you can follow my travels and see some of my work. There's even new weekly updates on the UFO phenomenon with megalithic structures and different places from around the world with UFO sightings. That's ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Check it out today. UFO Encounters Worldwide wants to hear from you. Have an experience or a sighting you want to share? Contact your host, Jesse Peak, at ufoencountersworldwide at gmail.com today. Hey everyone, it's Jesse Peak, your host from UFO Encounters Worldwide. Have you guys ever had a UFO sighting? Go to MUFON.com where you can report your UFO sighting and a field investigator will get in contact with you and investigate your sighting absolutely free. I'm a field investigator for MUFON in Pennsylvania. I do it all the time. It's a great, great organization to report your sighting and actually get real feedback. Check it out at MUFON.com today. Hello and welcome back to the second part of episode 17. This is your host, Jesse Peak. So in the second half, we have one more case to go over. Close encounters with a disc-shaped object. Startles witnessed in 1975. So this is a historical case that we're going to go over. It should be a pretty good one. And we're also going to go over the Experiencer Resource Team and tell you what it's all about. So strap on them seatbelts. We're not done yet. So, moving on to this um, historical case, um, seems pretty cool. Close encounter with a disc-shaped object, startles witness, all the way back from 1975. So, this should be a pretty cool one. Um, a Calif uh, California man reported seeing a shooting a star shooting in the sky, which resolved into a silver disc-shaped object of various colors as it got closer, according to his testimony from case 113034. The reporting witness with three family members, his mother and two brothers, were driving on Imperial Highway in La Merida at 12 p.m. on December 24, 1975, when the encounter occurred, with the case being submitted to MUFON 45 years later. As of March 2021, California Chief Investigator Earl Gray Anderson had interviewed the mother and two of her three sons about the incident. One of the brothers recalled, quote, my mom, my brothers, and I had been at a party at my cousin's house. I remember this being on Christmas Eve, 1975. We were on Imperial Highway near La Merida. It was close to midnight. We were stopped at a red light when I noticed a very bright star-like object. It was brighter than any star I've ever seen, and I pointed out to my mom and asked her what it was. As soon as I mentioned the object to my mom, it shot out in the sky to where it was the size of a dinner plate held at arm's length. It was a dull silver disc, the shape of a pie pan, except thicker than that. No markings, no insignia, 
It had three rows of lights at the bottom rim, red, blue, and green, that were spinning sequen uh, sequentially. In her interview with Anderson, the mother, now in her 80s, described what happened next. Quote, Just as I said this, I think that's a UFO. The main object shot down out of the sky to where it was right in front of us, maybe 100 feet away. I could now see that the lights were spinning around at the bottom. The object itself was so beautiful, it was breathtakingly beautiful. A creamy white look to it, and featureless. But for the spinning lights, it looked away for a moment, and the lights seemed to have been red for a very long time. That's when I noticed that something else around us was moving. I had already noticed how inordinary quiet it was. It was as if nothing in the world was in motion except for my boys and me and the flying saucer outside. Time felt very strange and I was becoming concerned as the traffic light had stayed red for a long, long time. I was scared it would turn green and I'd still be sitting there staring at this thing. This may seem strange to you and, and it sounds silly, but I'm not sure if we were sitting there for 10 minutes or an hour. Time was just, how can I say this? Different. End quote. Two of the sons and their mother also noted the presence of two smaller objects seemingly accompanying the larger UFO. When the main UFO left, hightailing it vertically into the darkness, the two others left it each like a falling star in reverse as the mother pulled it. MUFON field investigator Anderson closed this case as unknown aerial vehicle. In the investigator's synopsis of the incident, Anderson writes, Family of four. The mother and three brothers were driving on Imperial Highway late at night on Christmas Eve 1975 when the eldest brother, witness number one, saw what appeared to be a very bright star in the sky. The witness pointed it out to his mother and brothers, when the star shot down out of the sky and resolved into a silver dish-shaped object surrounded by red, green, and blue lights which spun in sequence at the bottom of the object. Witnesses, the witness stated that the object was the apparent size of a dinner plate held at arm's length. It had no visible markings, no insignia. The witness stated that it could see an aerial on the side that looked indented, rectangular, like a closed door or a hatch to go in and out from. The traffic light where they were sitting was red. The witness stated that he began to feel nervous as if the light had changed in what seemed a long time, or it hadn't changed in a long time. He noticed a few people walking at the crosswalk and realized that they were not moving at all. One man was frozen mid-stride, as though time around them had stopped. Witness stated that it seemed like five or ten minutes had passed, that the only thing in motion were the objects that were hovering in the sky and the family members in the car. Suddenly, the light turned green. Simultaneously, the dish-shaped object shot off into the night sky faster than you could even blink your eye. The brothers were driving home, driven home by their mother without further incident. Uh, La, the, um, the city, which is La Merida, is a city in southeast, uh, southeast Los Angeles County, California, United States, um, and it's one of the gateway cities. Um, the population is 48,527 as of 2010, 
and is now um, up from 46,783 from 2000. So this object is probably one of the best, uh, or I'm sorry, this encounter sighting is probably one of the best that you can get uh, without the abduction phenomenon occurring. Um, as you can tell, there was obviously some time time uh, stoppage, uh, time was frozen in a sense, um, and the only thing left was the family that was able to move inside the vehicle and these objects that were in the sky. And there was three objects, not just one. There was the larger mothership, which changed color, and then there was two smaller objects that were around it. Okay, now these were doing erratic movements, and they were going all over the sky. Like they said, they first thought it was a shooting star, but then the way it shot and did erratic movements, they knew it was a UFO. Um, now, and to have that many witnesses is just, I mean, not very many times you get other witnesses with yourself, let alone three other witnesses. Um, so we had all these people to interview, um, the brothers and the mom. So everybody's story coincided with each other. There was no no funny stuff of uh, uh, stories being mixed up and things not the same. Um, so it was definitely a very credible story, uh, according to the field investigator that investigated the sighting. And that's what we'd like to get. Um, and these are the ones that are important. These, This is one of those, they always say about 95% of stuff is uh, able to be explained as natural phenomenon, drones, planes, other helicopters, such. This case would be in that 5%. That is what we're looking for. Um, now, with these kind of cases, this is not no longer just a normal encounter of a sighting. Um, with the fact that they saw the one brother noticed at the time had stopped because people that were walking in the crosswalk were actually frozen in stride as they were walking. Um, so he did notice that. And then the mom had a strange feeling like she knew they she couldn't decide if they were there for an hour or 10 minutes. So they all had some sort of time effect as they were going through this process. The one brother was the only one that realized time had actually stopped. By viewing the people um the other one and they all had weird weird feelings in the, inside their body as well so something was obviously going on that was strange and abnormal um and i believe that this ufo um was allowing just them to see what was happening and you never know they actually because the time there was a, some kind of time exchange here it is possible that these people may have been abducted and just not known it um, for the mother to not know if they were sitting there for 10 minutes or an hour, um, things could have been done in between that time and, and things they would not have known. Um, that's just a possibility. Um, usually we investigate that, which I'm sure uh, I know that this is what happened. It was definitely investigated to see if that happened. Um, and it's good that they were open about this and gave all the information correctly. Um, so if you do want to go and check this case out, it is case 113034, and it's a historic case from 1975. Um, these are the kind of cases that people are interested in, and um, I highly recommend you go and check that case out for yourself because um, there's a lot of detail in this case, um, a lot. So definitely go check it out. Again, that's case 113034. Um, you can go see that and get all the details. Um, from that. So um, those are the cases for today, the top ones that have uh, came in the August journal. Um, and uh, there are definitely some pretty cool ones. Uh, we have, you know, regular sightings all the way up to the last one we just talked about.
pretty crazy, um, but definitely what we like to hear about. Um, so the next part of this episode is the experiencer resource team that MUFON um, has. Now, this team is built up of um, the director of MUFON experiencer resource team is Gwen Farrell. Um, and she wrote an article in here, and um, I'm going to give you information about it. But this team, uh, the experiencer resource team, is made up of medical doctors, senior field investigators, um, psychiatrists, um, all kinds of doctors that help in, the sen in this sense. Um, so it's, and, and it's here to get people answers, to help people mentally um, that need help with it. Some people need uh, hypnotherapy, and we do have hypnotherapists that are in, on the ERT. Um, this way we can uh, do a regression and see what has happened to you, get you some answers. And if you feel like you're an experiencer and you do want this help, you can go on to MUFON.com and you can and fill out the experiencer form, which is on the MUFON site. Um, you can report a sighting or uh, fill out one of the ERT forms. Um, and you'll be contacted by somebody on the ERT team and you'll go from there. Um, so if you definitely need help and you're having a hard time, I, I really, I, I say, reach out, get help. You're not alone. And you'll see that when you, when you, uh, fill out your form and get help. So, um, experiencers, abductees, and contactees, um, different terms that in modern UFOlogy refer to the same things. Um, individuals who believe they have had contact with extraterrestrials, interdimensional, or otherworldly beings. Dictionaries define the word experiencer simply as someone who experiences something. The field of psychology defines an experiencer as the thing that experiences the effect of action, state, or process, or the feeling, uh, the thing, feeling, or being affected by an experience. Based on those definitions, since we are all affected by different experiences every day, in truth, we are all experiencers. But in the field of ufology and human ET contact, the term experiencer means much more. Of course, we are not all human beings. Not all human beings experience contact with UFOs and ETs, although I suspect many people have had such experiences, but either don't recall them or don't want to admit to them. Every year, thousands of people see lights in the sky and they believe are flying saucers or other alien craft, but upon investigation turn out to be animals, weather effects, conventional aircraft, and or other explainable phenomena. Most of the time, the lights pass by with no physical contact or trace left behind, but in rare instances, the lights do prove to be something more and a contact experience does happen. So... This is happening all around the world, um, and no one comes away from contact with alien beings unchanged. Um, regardless of their age, the circumstances of contact, and whether the contact is positive, negative, um, or what, what have you. Once humans come into contact with ET, they are never the same. Um, and, and for some experiences, contact begins at a, in an early childhood and ceases at puberty. For others, it ruins continuously through their lives. Some individuals are visited very frequently every week or every month. Uh, Whitley Strieber talks about this very much. Um, there's, there's plenty of people out there that, that have experienced this, and some only twice or every few years. 
Some experiencers are alerted to upcoming contact by dreams or psychic messages or visual images. Some experience feelings of anticipation or physical sensation, such as buzzing or ringing in their ears before contact, and some are taken completely by surprise with no warning at all. After contact, experiencers may have memories of events to which they respond with joy and feelings of privilege, blessing, even with eager anticipation of future contact. While others reach with fear, dread, and confusion, perhaps doubting their sanity. In most cases, there are no confusion memory of events, or at best, only vague partial recollections of reoccurring dreams that don't make sense. So, I mean, usually when we have any kind of experience, um, you know, you're left with something after that experience, whether it can be an implant, um, like they said, you can have vivid dreams. Um, you might even wake up with scars on your body from where you might have procedures done. Um, like I said earlier, Whitley, Whitley Strieber, he he was given an implant in his ear. And before he's about to have contact, he gets a ringing in his ear. And his ear gets really, really warm. Um, so he knows it's about to happen before it happens. And he went to get it taken out, and he actually decided it was having a hard time being taken out, so he decided to leave it in. And now it kind of is used for his benefit, in a way, when he knows they're about to happen. Um, so, why is it hard being an experiencer? Because it is. I'm telling you right now, it's hard. The human ET contact phenomenon is vast, and it's complex, and individuals from all different walks of life are interested in it. The explosion of science fiction and art, literature, and all forms of entertainment is proof of that. And in context, human ET contact stories are great fun, but in reality, interactions with alien beings are serious business that often leaves experiencers struggling with either confusion, fear that this is happening to them because they have no idea what's going on and they're extremely scared, um, haunting questions. Um, they had no idea why this is happening to them. I mean, beings are coming and taking them at nighttime and, and not giving them an answer. They're not communicating. Um, nothing. So even positive interactions with alien beings can be overwhelming. Whether positive or negative, contacts with extraterrestrial beings are not are not everyday run-of-the-mill occurrences, and they change many of the, the biases and beliefs about ourselves and all everything that all humans share um so and another thing contact with alien beings isn't part of the normal human existence but yet abductees and contactees may suffer very real trauma as a result um it's it, it's it's psychological and emotional effects in a way and it is uh, while many experiencers may have some temporary difficulties adjusting and coping with their contact events, most don't require medical treatment, but some may suffer from symptoms similar to those of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, we know, um, avoiding anything linked to, to the contact experience, experiencing intrusive thoughts and emotions or nightmares, um, flashes of images related to the event, and trouble focusing on daily tasks. 
um, it's, it's, it's real. It's, this is a real thing and it really affects people. In addition, um, they may avoid locations of the event, written and video material about UFOs or ETs. Um, even the doctor or dentist visits that involve bright lights or examination scenarios. I mean, it, it just brings back memories. So they're frightened to go and, and have to deal with this again. Some also report um, decreased interest in physical intimacy due to feelings of vulnerability. Um, they didn't feel before the, the contact experience. The next response to contact is often fear, anger, especially if contact continues. Um, this can be a difficult stage to move past, and unfortunately, many people get caught up at this point and spend years viewing themselves as victims. Um, however, after speaking to a therapist or an investigator about their experience, even if no formal therapy is involved, many acute PTSD-like symptoms can begin to fade. And after a while, experiences may become interested in learning all they can about UFOs and ETs, perhaps in an effort to make sense of what happened to them. So, or even to prevent future contact events. The human mind has a reasonable ability to like block these memories of events that are too traumatic to deal with in the moment. But if such memories remain unremembered over time without being expressed and faced, it can definitely cause problematic behaviors. Um, an example, for, for example, um, you could begin to develop phobias. That cannot be resolved until uh, the contact event is, is dealt with. Um, now, some contact is positive and negative. Um, contact between a human being and an alien is very personal. I want you to understand it, it's very personal. No one can understand the experience is like until they actually live it for themselves. And whether it's beautiful or terrifying, it's part of their life that may even be eventually need to be dealt with. But being an experiencer can also be an opportunity for personal growth in a myriad of ways and can lead individuals to help other people. Many experiencers consider themselves blessed and wouldn't exchange their contact experiences for anything in the world. Some people feel that this is a, it's, it's, it's a good omen for them and, and, and seeing ETs and being abducted is, is it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I've heard many people say that and, and honestly, there's a good percentage, if you look at it, that won't change that. They would never change it. They would love to continue having these if they had a choice. Um, but being an experiencer can also be the opportunity, or I mean, I'm sorry, many experiencers consider themselves blessed, like I said. Um, some believe they have important roles to play in raising the consciousness of humanity and protecting the earth and are happily working towards those ends. Others are not. Being touched by ETs doesn't make a person a saint, a genius, or even better than other human beings, but it does give them something special. Whether that something is a gift or a curse differs with each experiencer. Contact with alien beings isn't normal, and yet for the most part, experiencers are normal people with their families, jobs, and routine lives. I mean, at, at the same time, they're amazing individuals with strength and grace to persevere through what are often the most frightening, remarkable ordeals human beings can experience. Um, contact, that, that, and that's contact with extraterrestrial beings. Um, we, a quote from Dr. Edgar Mitchell, ready? Quote, the experiencer of contact with non-human intelligence is the key 
that will open the door to understanding the relationships between consciousness and contact with non-human intelligence. Quote in Dr. Edgar Mitchell. So this is all the stuff that people deal with when they're when they are when they're contactees. And the ERT team is here to specifically help you. We put we made this team for a very good reason, and it is helping people all over the world. You fill out that form, someone, a professional will contact you, will walk you through anything you need to walk through, and we can try to make this thing that has affected your life into something that you live with, and it could be a tool for you. It can be something that motivates you to help other people. It can become a beautiful thing, and that's what the ERT does for people. The Experiencer Research Team is there to help people, to help people get their lives back in order. People go through such traumatic things when they get abducted or they've had implants done or procedures done. And we're here to make sure that you can get back to everyday life. And that's what the ERT is. And I'm telling you right now, it's made of some of the most dedicated people that I've ever met in my life. And if you want to know, you can go on to MUFON.com and you can see the, the ERT team personally and see who is there, what doctors are there, and how you can get your help. It explains everything. So I gave you a rundown today of what people go through and the trauma that this, this, this leaves behind. And I explained to you that this is what the ERT does. The Experiencer Resource Team is there to help. So if you ever need anything or if you're experiencing something on your own and you're scared to, to go and ask for help, everything is confidential. None of your information will be put out in the open. Um, you can remain anonymous. And we will get you the help that you need. So that is what our ERT is. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in today of episode 17 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the first half of the show with all the different encounters from the August MUFON Journal, all of our top cases. Pretty cool stuff. And definitely take those case numbers that I gave you. Go over to MUFON, type them in. This way you can look over the cases if you want. See the pictures and the videos that were left there for each of those cases. Um, pretty cool stuff. And like I said... Uh, we explained the ERT today, the Experiencer Resource Team. If you're having a problem like that, please go over to MUFON, fill out a form for the ERT, and get the help that you need. We are there for you. Um, we definitely are willing to help you and go to any lengths possible. Um, so I hope everybody enjoyed learning about that as well today. Uh, we'll be back next week with a special guest, Andrew Owen, and his wife, Julia Owen, the author and researcher of Allium Park Dunes. Definitely check that out beforehand. This way you can be prepared for next week's episode. And thank you all again. This is Jesse Peak, MUFON Field Investigator for the state of Pennsylvania. This is UFO Counters Worldwide. Remember, keep your eyes on the sky, and we'll see you next week.